0: On March 27, 2010, a 58-year-old rancher from Arizona named Robert Krentz was found shot dead on his 35,000-acre property.
1: New details about a rancher shot and killed on his land in Douglas just came in a few hours
0: His property ago. abutted the U.S.-Mexico border, and the area was rife with illicit activity. Authorities say the area is a known drug smuggling corridor. A day before the
2: earlier court, in the day, Krentz made a garbled radio call to his brother, possibly about a man being injured. He said the words illegal alien and hurt.
0: Within days, Krentz's slaying was a national story.
3: This is no longer a situation where someone from Mexico or some other country decides they want to cross our borders. These are highly organized, highly sophisticated, well-equipped, qu- well-trained, armed cartels.
4: Deputies and Border Patrol officers followed foot tracks to the border with Mexico.
1: Krentz's wife actually wrote a letter to Congress in 2007 pleading for help, warning of the danger posed by illegal immigrants along the border and saying her
2: and her husband's lives were in danger. This was a watershed moment for a piece of legislation that would catapult Arizona into the national spotlight for years to come. It would help shape the national conversation on immigration policy and border enforcement.
0: That legislation was Senate Bill 1070.
2: I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I'm a national political reporter for the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I also co-host our weekly political podcast, The Gaggle.
0: And I'm Ron Hansen. I'm also a national political reporter and co-host of The Gaggle. Welcome to Season 2 of Rediscovering. This time, we're focusing on SB 1070. In
2: April 2010... Arizona enacted the Support Our Law Enforcement and Safe Neighborhoods Act, better known as SB 1070. The state law required police officers to ask about the legal status of anyone they thought might be in the country illegally. From the start, critics slammed the legislation for codifying racial profiling by the police.
3: They were still going to see our skin color. They were going to see whether we were documented or not.
2: It's a racist
1: law. It's causing discord in Arizona. We need your help.
0: To its supporters, 1070 tackled the issue of illegal immigration in a way that Washington would not. The law was a state-level response to a national issue that had stalled in Congress. It sought to break the federal logjam and show the nation that if Congress wouldn't tackle immigration reform, Arizona would.
1: I wasn't stopping. I was going to get my borders secured. And by God, if the federal government wasn't going to help me, well, then I was going to do it ever, and however I was going to do it.
2: Ten years later, the law played a role in reducing the size of the state's undocumented population. By how much is debatable. But the law unquestionably reshaped Arizona politics. And it may have influenced the political rise of President Donald Trump.
3: Well, it all starts with the federal government not coming out with a the law. They've been talking about it for years and they still haven't done anything. And Arizona is really getting crime ridden. I mean, these people coming over, there's killings all over, the place, there's all over the
0: place. In this season of rediscovering, we'll retrace the history of SB 1070, how it happened, who advocated for it, and why it still matters a decade later.
2: You'll hear clips from a candid interview with then Governor Jan Brewer.
1: I think I was on the right side of issue and I do not regret doing what I did. It had to be done.
2: You'll also hear from the bill's author, Russell Pierce.
3: I'm tired of this fact, Russell That's a federal problem. It's not a federal problem. It's my neighborhood, it's my community, it's my country.
0: Arizona's senior Senator Kirsten Cinema, who was in the state legislature at the time, will weigh in on the legislation. And you'll hear from activists, young Latinos and immigrants whose lives were shaped and forever altered by the law.
1: I spent the first 15, 16 years of my life fighting back, responding, reacting, trying to defend
0: my family from not being destroyed.
2: We talked to more than two dozen people, from public officials, police, and pastors for this series. They'll take you behind the scenes for accounts never heard before on how SB 1070 really unfolded.
0: SB 1070 sought to make immigration enforcement the job of local police. Before SB 1070, it had primarily been a federal responsibility.
2: It's hard to overstate how controversial and polarizing SB 1070 was. To its supporters, it was a way to enforce border and economic security. To its opponents, it provided legal cover for racial profiling, an issue that continues to reverberate today. The recent protests over the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis offer fresh reminders of the long-simmering national issue of race relations and policing. But before we can address the fallout from the legislation— we need to explore what set the foundation for its creation. In this episode, we're going back to the early 2000s. It's when Arizona's construction boom changed the demographics of our state.
0: Arizona's 370-mile border with Mexico is an often rugged, desolate expanse of desert. That landscape is broken up by small towns whose history is a melange of American and Mexican culture. This common border means the state has a long and close history of dealing with immigration,
1: legal and otherwise. When I came here at the end of 1999, 2000, it was already starting to boil up as a really big issue.
0: That's Daniel Gonzalez. He moved from Syracuse to Phoenix at the end of
1: 1999. And I was the immigration reporter in 2010, and I'm still the immigration reporter in 2020.
2: In the early 2000s, Arizona's rapid population growth and investor speculation fueled a home-building binge in the state.
1: There started to be this really huge phenomenon taking place where the economy in Mexico had collapsed and the economy in the United States was really starting to to boom.
0: Contractors took advantage of a lax employment verification system and hired illegal workers, often from Mexico, in droves.
1: So people started coming through Arizona and by, by huge, huge numbers. We're talking about in the early 2000s, there, the Border Patrol was apprehending more than a million people a year.
0: Workers provided relatively cheap labor and consumers bought homes for less money. And it wasn't just the housing industry that benefited.
2: At the peak, Arizona proportionately had the second-largest undocumented population of any state in the country, behind only Nevada. About 1 in 12 residents was undocumented. They mostly came for jobs, chiefly in construction, but also cleaning toilets, landscaping Arizona's resorts, cooking food, and washing dishes at restaurants, all of which needed workers because of the state's thriving economy. Consumers and businesses liked the low-cost labor, but not everyone liked having the extra foreign-born newcomers around.
1: And then the other kind of big factor was that there was a lot of changes happening very quickly within the social fabric of Arizona itself because we had so many transplants that had moved here from you know cold-weather um, cities and states like Illinois and Wisconsin and Ohio. And then all of a sudden, we started in late nineteen nineties and early two thousands to have this tremendous influx of newly arrived Mexican immigrants, as opposed to uh, Latinos, Mexican Americans who had lived in Arizona for literally decades, and that was that. That created a lot of social tension within, you know, within the social fabric of Arizona. Entire neighborhoods were changed overnight. As Mexican immigrants moved in, we started seeing signs all over, you know, in Spanish.
3: You know, when you live in a neighborhood and all of a sudden the yard sale signs are in Spanish, <laughs> um, you know, it, it tells you it's, it's you know which way the country
2: is going. That's Edie Tony, a retiree who lives in Mesa and supported efforts to rein in illegal immigration during this era.
1: So a law, all these factors were kind of converging all in, in a very short amount of time in, in Arizona, and, and, the, and the, the, the policymakers and the lawmakers found themselves struggling with, with how to address those many, many issues.
2: Some of Arizona's most activist conservative lawmakers sought to push back against the wave of illegal immigration and changing demographics with a series of bills in the Arizona legislature. One such man was Republican Russell Pierce.
3: Not everybody coming across that border is a bad person in terms of a bad person. But there's a cost to that.
2: Russell Pierce is someone you'll hear a lot from in this series. These days, he walks with a cane. But there's still an abiding toughness to Russell Pierce.
3: We don't need the federal government to tell us what to do or sit on the sidelines, watch their inaction.
0: Pierce was born in Mesa in 1947 to Hal Frost Pierce and Norma Crandall Pierce. He worked as a Maricopa County Sheriff's Deputy for 23 years. He was shot in the chest and finger doing his job. Pierce's son, also a Sheriff's Deputy, was also severely wounded by an undocumented immigrant.
2: Over the years, Russell Pierce rose to Chief Deputy at the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office making him the sheriff's top policy advisor. After that, he stepped into state government, running the governor's office of Highway Safety and the state's Motor Vehicles Division.
0: He was also an influential conservative political operator. Inside the state's GOP, Pierce became well-known for his connections to East Valley conservatives. Pierce was a powerhouse at gathering signatures for candidates and initiatives knocking on doors and helping deliver East Valley neighborhoods to Republicans.
2: And he would later become the architect of SB 1070. Before 1070, Pierce's efforts were initially seen as largely symbolic of the far right's hostility towards the immigrant community. It wasn't necessarily reflective of mainstream politics.
0: That started the change in 2004. In 2004, Arizona voters considered Proposition 200, an initiative Pierce helped craft. It was a measure presented as protection for the state's taxpayers and voters. In truth, it was a broadside against undocumented migrants.
3: Yeah, I think it was determined a long time ago that you have to be a citizen to vote. Novel idea that, we, that maybe we make you prove that.
2: Prop 200 required proof of citizenship to register to vote and photo IDs to obtain a ballot. It also mandated that state officials verify eligibility for non-federal public benefits.
0: Arizona Democrats opposed it, in part because they worried the proof of citizenship requirement could lead to discrimination and discourage people to vote. One of its provisions required state and local governments verify the immigration status of anyone applying for public benefits. Government officials would have to notify federal immigration officials of any suspected undocumented migrants seeking public benefits. They faced jail time and a fine if they failed to do so.
2: Democrats weren't alone in their opposition to Proposition 200. The state's Republican Party also opposed the bill.
4: Senator John McCain says it is too costly and does nothing to fix illegal immigration.
2: John McCain and John Kyle, Arizona's Republican U.S. Senators, were also against it.
4: It is Proposition 200.
2: While politicians were united in their opposition to Prop 200, the measure found support with voters. It passed with 56% of the vote. Here again is immigration reporter Dan Gonzalez.
1: Coming in and checking my voicemail, and the little red light was on, and I listened to it, and it said, Your voicemail is full. And I remember it was just inundated with very, very hostile uh, phone calls from people, you know, s- using very strong language about, you know, immigrants and Mexicans and, you know, race, using racial slurs and how they didn't want people here. So, that was, that to me kind of reflected kind of the, the feeling that was going on in the community.
0: In fact, there were some in the community who felt further action was necessary. Six months after Prop 200 passed, a 24-year-old Army reservist named Patrick Hobb went a step further. It was April 2005, less than a year after Prop 200 became law. At a rest stop along Interstate 8 in Dateland, Arizona, Army Reservist Patrick Hobb came across seven people he thought were undocumented immigrants. He held them at gunpoint until police came for their arrest, or at least he thought until police would come for their arrest. Here's Patrick Hobb talking on Fox News. Well, uh, I mean, it all started out as a self-defense and uh, just went from there. So, I mean, I couldn't tell at first uh, what was going on besides uh, men were rushing me out of a field. So I just went off uh, self-defense right there.
2: Host Alan Colmes asked Hobb to clarify. Colmes said that it wasn't that Hobbs saw a felony, but he believed one would be committed against him. In short, Hob believed his physical safety was in danger.
0: That was my assumption once they had started mumbling Spanish back and forth to each other and uh, just having multiple layers of clothing on, having backpacks and everything. But when the police arrived, they arrested Hob, not the seven people who were, in fact, undocumented migrants. And they charged Hob with seven counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon.
2: Hobbs' case sparked national attention, but he wasn't alone. Arizona had several self-styled militia groups that patrolled the border, making citizens arrests and raising tensions. And what's coming across this border is wrong. We've got millions up here, not just thousands, millions. And it's only gonna get worse if we don't put a stop to it. Law enforcement officials were less than thrilled. Joe Arpaio, the Maricopa County Sheriff at the time, cast the Hobb case as overheated vigilante justice. He said at the time, quote, "...being illegal is not a serious crime. You can't go to jail for being an illegal alien. You can only be deported."
0: In another interview with the Arizona Republic at the time, he said, quote, "...I want the authority to lock up smugglers, but I'm not going to lock up illegals hanging around street corners." I'm not going to waste my resources going after a guy in a truck when he picks up five illegals to go trim palm trees.
2: Ten years later, Arpaio said this about it.
3: I don't expect a private citizen. I think he was a reservist, too. Not on duty. But I don't expect anybody to go around and see uh, uh, nine people on the street and pull guns at them because they may look like they came from another country i say that today you have to have some type of probable cause. now if they were violating the law he was making a citizen's arrest but i don't think that's what it was i think the issue was they were coming from another country they looked, you know uh so i i did what i felt
0: was right but like the passage of prop 200 what arpaio and other leading republicans felt was right was out of step with many in the broader public
4: taking care of our family of Americans is, there's nothing wrong with feeling that way and having that as our top priority.
0: Although Arpaio and other leading Republicans felt it wasn't the duty of private citizens to enforce immigration policies, many others, like Sean Hannity, disagreed.
3: By the way, I like Joe Arpaio. I, 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 he's been, I think, a terrific sheriff, and I was, I, it was one of the few times I ever disagreed with him. Um, In the
0: end, A veteran service member bailed Hobb out of jail, and he received public donations to aid his legal defense.
2: Hobb had touched a nerve in the public. Many Arizonans and others across the country saw illegal immigration as a danger to the nation and an unaffordable burden. Many felt that Prop 200 didn't go far enough to adequately crack down on illegal immigration. Twelve days after Hobb made his citizen arrests, Andrew Thomas, the Maricopa County attorney at the time, dropped the charges against him, saying the situation was unique and legal. And he hoped others would not similarly seek to take the law into their own hands.
0: But immigration reform was on the national agenda. And in Arizona, it was becoming clearer than ever there was strong public support for a crackdown. Remember, 56% of people voted for Prop 200, which required proof of citizenship to vote. And the public paid for Patrick Hobbs' legal defense after his botched citizen's arrest. The public wasn't sitting on the sidelines anymore, and politicians took notice.
2: Democratic Governor Janet Napolitano became increasingly vocal about the issue of illegal immigration.
1: Well, the illegal immigrant issue for the border states has been huge. It's literally cost Arizona taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars. I've been sending bills to the federal government since I was elected, uh, saying, uh, you know, you ought to pay us back uh, so far to no effect. Um,
2: She called for deploying National Guard troops at the border, a call that was ignored by the federal government. So the Democratic governor and the Republican-controlled state legislature took action.
0: In 2007, Governor Napolitano and the state legislature passed House Bill 2779, more commonly known as employer sanctions. It required business owners to verify that new hires were eligible to work in the United States. The law also threatened to strip business licenses from repeat offenders.
1: What's going on is is at base an economic migration. There are jobs in the United States, and uh, there are people who can't make money in Mexico or Central America who are willing to uh, cross to get those jobs. And one of the failures of our national immigration policy is uh, we never cracked down on employers after 1986, uh, which was the last major immigration bill, uh, for hiring illegal immigrants.
2: While such sentiments appealed to conservatives in the state, Napolitano's tough talk was a blow to the Latino community that helped elect her in two thousand and two. Salvador Reza directed the Tona Tierra Community Organization at the time. It's a group that advocates respect for human rights involving undocumented immigrants. Reza said that employer sanctions felt like an attempt to punish the migrant community that built Arizona's homes and economy
3: here in Arizona, they think they can survive without without Mexican labor. And and somehow, they started blaming everything that was happening in the economy on, on
2: us. Employer sanctions took effect at the beginning of 2008. The law struck a balance between Pierce's need to get tough on undocumented immigrants who were earning wages in Arizona, and Napolitano's need to get tough on employers who were hiring them.
0: But the timing proved to be disastrous. It was just as the Great Recession started to ravage Arizona's economy. Dennis Hoffman, an economist at Arizona State University, said the downturn had a profound impact on the state's economy and on public opinion.
4: I would say that this legislation was akin to throwing jet fuel on a a fire that was pretty well blazing at that point.
0: The housing crash hollowed out the construction industry in Phoenix. While the state's employer sanctions law didn't result in widespread cases against businesses, it did change the way new employees were screened. Undocumented immigrants looking for work found it easier to just move out of Arizona and find work in other states. Arizona State University economist Dennis Hoffman remembers this poignant story.
4: You found if you, if you spoke with managers, I'll, re, I'll remember a, a manager at a, a local grocery store in, in Tempe, what had really shocked him, and I, this story really stuck with me, is that his meat manager came in and resigned with no notice and said, I have to leave, I'm gone. And I said, well, do you have a lot of turnover in that area? He said, that man worked for me for 12 years. He had a family. He had a house. He was in the shadows. He was obviously undocumented looking back. And uh, he was compelled to leave. You're just telling people, you're not welcome. You're out of here.
0: To summarize what's happened so far, Arizona's migrant population swelled in the late 90s and early 2000s, thanks in part to our housing boom. But not everyone was happy with the state's changing demographics. This led to incidents like the citizens' arrest with Patrick Hobb.
2: The state legislature tried to address this issue. First, they passed Prop 200. That's the law that required proof of citizenship to vote. Then they passed employer sanctions, which required business owners to verify that new hires were eligible to work in the United States.
0: However, many felt that Arizona's politicians were addressing the issue with piecemeal legislation. The issue as a whole wasn't being tackled. And many, whether Republican or Democrat, wanted a well-rounded, all-encompassing response from the federal government.
2: So let's take a look at what the federal government was doing during the same time period to address illegal immigration. Under President George W. Bush's administration, lawmakers in Washington began working on the issue, too. The Republican-controlled House of Representatives passed a bill that would have made it a criminal offense to be in the U.S. illegally. Previously, it was just a civil infraction with a fine. The proposed legislation also criminalized providing humanitarian aid to migrants. It would have led to mass deportations and built 700 miles of fencing along the Mexican border.
3: Our goal is to protect our national security and to keep American families safe by securing our borders.
0: But in the Senate, Arizona Senator John McCain helped craft a bill that would have created a pathway to U.S. citizenship for the millions of undocumented immigrants in the nation at the time. It would have expanded a guest worker program and funded 370 miles of fencing along the border,
3: about half as
0: much as the House version.
3: Our reforms need to reflect the reality and help us separate economic immigrants from security risks. We need to establish a temporary worker program that permits workers from other countries to the extent that they are needed to fill jobs that would otherwise go unfilled. Mr. President, we need workers in this country. There are certain jobs that Americans are simply not willing to do.
2: As Congress continued working on its two bills, public opinion simmered. On March 24, 2006, an estimated 20,000 people, predominantly from the Latino community, marched through the streets of Phoenix to Senator John Kyle's office, protesting federal efforts to criminalize undocumented immigrants. The next day, 500,000 people marched in Los Angeles. In April, more than 100,000 protesters marched in another rally in Phoenix. And on May 1st, the immigrant community led a Day Without Immigrants boycott across the country. 400,000 people marched in Chicago. Another 400,000 walked out in Los Angeles.
0: But despite public clamoring for immigration to be addressed with legislation, the House and Senate could not bridge their differences, and both immigration reform bills died in Washington.
3: And this is a struggle on our side of the border for the fundamental obligation that any government has, and that is to provide its citizens with secure borders. Right now, our citizens are not safe. It is now a massive failure on the part of the federal government, and they should also fund it.
2: Ultimately, George W. Bush would leave office without his administration finding a foothold on the issue of illegal immigration. This left the issue unresolved for people on both sides of the political spectrum. Then, in November 2008, the ground started to shift.
4: It's the answer spoken by young and old, rich and poor, Democrat and Republican, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Native American, gay, straight, disabled and not disabled, Americans who sent a message to the world...
2: That President Barack Obama took office, inheriting the unresolved issue of illegal immigration from the Bush administration. While the issue of illegal immigration was important to those who lived in border states, it was not the most pressing federal problem at the time.
4: And on Friday, we're likely to learn that we lost more jobs last year than at any time since World War II. Many workers are watching their life savings disappear. Many, many Americans are both anxious and uncertain of what the future will hold.
0: The American economy seemed on the verge of collapse when Obama took office. Inevitably, addressing illegal immigration took a back seat to more urgent concerns.
2: The new president also disrupted the political dynamics in Arizona, when he tapped Governor Janet Napolitano to serve as his Secretary of Homeland Security. Midway through her second term, she moved to Washington to oversee the nation's borders.
0: In situations like this, one in which the governor leaves their position, it's protocol for the Secretary of State to fill their position. In this case, that meant that Republican Jan Brewer was ushered into a spot previously filled by a Democrat.
3: E. Brewer, governor of the state of Arizona.
0: If Napolitano had been a moderating influence on immigration issues in Arizona, Brewer's arrival suggested new possibilities for Republicans at the state capitol to crank up the heat.
1: The biggest external threat to our budget comes from the federal government. Oppressive health care mandates, job killing, environmental restrictions, and continual refusal to pay for costs associated with illegal immigration.
2: Before addressing immigration, Brewer first had to tend to a $4.6 billion budget shortfall as the recession deepened. The state was on the brink of financial disaster.
0: But by the beginning of the 2010 legislative session, Russell Pierce by then a member of the state Senate, was ready to put immigration issues back at the top of the state's priorities. He would not miss the opportunity that was handed to him when a Democratic governor was replaced with a Republican one. On the third day of the 2010 session, Pierce filed Senate Bill 1070. Among its various provisions, SB 1070 sought to require law enforcement officers in Arizona to inquire about a person's immigration status when authorities had reasonable grounds to suspect them of being undocumented. Federal law required immigrants to carry proper ID, and Arizona's bill made it a crime for failing to follow that federal law. Previously, it was a civil infraction with a fine. Critics quickly branded it the Papers, Please Law, in a reference to Nazi Germany.
2: The proposal wasn't entirely new. Napolitano vetoed similar immigration enforcement bills in 2006 and 2008. But with Napolitano back in Washington, D.C., the GOP-controlled legislature wanted to test the new governor, Jan Brewer, who was on the ballot that year seeking a four-year term in her own right.
0: The bill debuted with 16 co-sponsors in the Senate, enough to ensure its passage in that chamber. It also had 21 co-sponsors in the House, leaving it only a handful of votes short of a majority there, too. Of all its early supporters, only one was not a Republican, Representative Rhonda Barnes, an independent.
2: But the immigration enforcement issues that engulfed the more conservative wing of the Republican Party weren't resonating with Brewer and her team. Again, Brewer and her team were focused on the economy.
0: Her focus would change on March 27, 2010.
2: New details
1: about a rancher shot and killed on his land in Douglas, just came in a few hours
2: ago from Cochise County. The murder of rancher Robert Krentz was a watershed moment for SB 1070. For those who were not on board initially, the proposed legislation took on new impetus. Here's Russell Pierce.
3: You can't let those deaths and those maimings and the cost of the taxpayers go unanswered. Do you, you know,
0: think that, that that event moved any votes in the legislature? Do you think yes. it changed the way that the governor viewed Yes, did it?
3: because a couple of my opposition were, were folks that have border towns in their district. And there was an outrage.
2: Reporter Daniel Gonzalez agreed.
1: That made it very difficult to kind of not back that bill. So I was excited to get that to
3: Governor Byrne. And, uh, and then I got pushback, said, well, we don't know if she, she really is not sure whether she's going to sign it. I said, I'd hate to burn that capital down.
2: But the initial pushback didn't come just from the governor's office. It came from activists, undocumented migrants, and students. It came from pastors, rabbis, and other religious leaders. And it echoed across the country.
0: Next time on Rediscovering SB 1070.
3: They they profess throughout this, not to hate us. They profess throughout this to be our friends. They profess throughout this to be our allies and stand with us. And they nonetheless took these actions or allowed these actions to occur. uh, without, uh, Without much of a battle, without much of a fight, we were left on our own. Mr. President,
2: I need you to help me, my family and my parents. I want them back with me again, and I don't want Sheriff Jorafio getting uh, other people and my parents
3: again. <laughs> Please. They were the most vulnerable part of, uh, of, the, of, the, of the immigration or the migrant population because they were visible, they were poor, uh, they were in the corners, and they gave a sense of invasion. I personally felt outrage almost every time I was on radio, every time I heard a story. I could tell you stories, uh, uh, but I'll tell you, there were days I walked out of there in tears just hearing the stories.
0: This podcast was edited and produced by Katie O'Connell, Maritza Dominguez, and Taylor Seely. Reporting by Yvonne Winget Sanchez, Daniel Gonzalez, and myself, Ron Hanson. Script supervision came from Katie O'Connell, Daniel Gonzalez, and our Director for Storytelling and Innovation, John Adams.
2: Greg Burton is our Executive Editor. Social media for this podcast came from Danielle Woodward, Grace Palmieri, Garrett Mitchell, Angel Mendoza, and Claire Rafford. Web production by John Paul McDonnell.
0: Audio in this episode comes from ABC 15 Arizona, the Associated Press, Fox News, C-SPAN, CNN, and Arizonans for Real Immigration Reform.
2: Thanks so much for listening to Rediscovering SB 1070, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com.